Welcome back to Leaders of Color. On today's episode, we are joined by Cinderella and Juliana. Cinderella, or Cindy Fubara, is a second-year student at the University of Calgary and the current co-chair for the Ubuntu Youth Council in Central Alberta. Among her many passions, she has a desire to empower Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are youth and their voices and make them believe that they don't have to settle for what society expects of them. We are also joined by Juliana, who is a 19-year-old and currently a second-year student at the University of Victoria studying political science. She is a Colombian immigrant and proud to be a part of helping create change in central Alberta, change that is so greatly needed. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. How are you both doing these days? Have you been watching any good TV lately? I've been watching um, The Bachelor and honestly, the drama in the show and outside the show is just has been really entertaining. Oh, is that all the racism problems that they're having? Yes. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. I've heard a little <laughs> bit about them. <laughs> I have actually been watching Empire. It just got on Disney Plus and it is my new obsession. If you have not watched it, I highly recommend it. <laughs> it's great because I don't really get to watch as many black culture movies or TV shows as I would like. So the fact that there's so many on Disney Plus now, it's awesome that I get to watch it. So. I've been obsessed lately. Yeah, when Star got added to Disney Plus the other day, I've been watching Criminal Minds since the jump. But Empire has some <laughs> really good music that I like. And I think it's because Timbaland is the producer of it, or at least yeah. most of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's some good jams in there. I, I, I remember watching, I think, the first season. And then I don't know how many seasons went on, but it's like such a dramatic show. <laughs> It is so dramatic. We finished the first season in two days, so. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, then it sounds like it's a good marathon watching show. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. So tell us a little bit about the Ubuntu Youth Council and what you're doing in Central Alberta. Well, the Ubuntu Youth Council was created kind of like on a whim. It was out of passion of somebody who wanted something where youth could have their voices heard because in central Alberta, it's honestly kind of hard. We're kind of in, we're in between Edmonton and Calgary. So nobody really remembers us. They don't know about Sylvan Lake. They don't know about Red Deer. They don't know about Pinoca or anything like that. So our voices aren't really as heard and we don't have as many organizations as those bigger cities do. So we wanted to create this for these youth so that they could have their voices heard and have a seat at the decision table when things are being made. But we realized that there's quite a few councils pertaining to the white culture, the more dominant culture. So that problem was actually the BIPOC youth that didn't have a place for them to have these kind of conversations and have a more vulnerable space. And obviously with the stigma that's on Black youth and Indigenous youth that we're just a bunch of troublemakers and there's a lot of stigma around us it's not really normal to find a place where they they can just be normal and be themselves so we said we wanted to do something like that so ubuntu actually means i am because we are so it's around it's along that like idea that what affects us affects all so our mandate is to actually create relationships between bipoc youth and give them the power to speak to the issues that affect them and just to get that seat at the table. Yeah, and the founder of the Youth Council is Ursula Khan, and I had known her from high school. 
And Cindy and I had known each other as well from high school. We were actually also part of another youth council that was called Peace Builders. And uh, with that program, we actually tried to start like an official youth council underneath the city council of Red Deer. But that was turned down, unfortunately, just because they said that it wasn't in their interest at the time and everything. And as well as in the summer, Ursula Khan tried again to start that youth council under the city. And again, it was denied. So it, it just felt really frustrating that the city didn't really want to provide a space where youth could be heard and youth could be able to provide feedback to the city. So Ursula invited me to just kind of start meeting up and be able to start events. And then it, we started to envision more of a space more for BIPOC youth, because I think that in Red Deer, there's so many spaces that are like more created for white youth. And often even like myself, even though I had participated in those different youth councils, like I never felt as comfortable as I am with the Ubuntu Youth Council. So that's when I invited Cindy to start coming to the meetings. She was like, of course, very hesitant at first, but I was like, this is just like a really great opportunity. And and especially in the summer of 2020, with everything going on in the media and the Black Lives Matter protests that were going on, we just thought that it was the perfect time to be able to create a space for BIPOC youth. Do you think you can speak a little bit to maybe the demographics and what the experience of being BIPOC youth in Central Alberta is like for those who are not familiar with the area. In particular, sort of, Cindy, you mentioned some of the racist tropes that exist there around Black and Indigenous youth and racialized youth being troublemakers and and sort of racist stereotyping like that. What does your environment look like? What is the setting that you're in? Well, to start off, if you were to look at all of Canada, you would probably understand that the most conservative area would be Alberta. So that's already kind of like against us in a sense. And there's just so many youth here. But like I said, Calgary, there are enough people of color there that those who are a little bit more uncomfortable with it wouldn't really have a way to say anything. Whereas in central Alberta, there's a smaller amount of youth of color here and families of color at, at all. So trying to get our voices out there is even harder. And those stereotypes, like I said, hard, like even bigger and even harder on us. I don't really experience as much racism as I, not as I could have, but you know what I'm talking about. But I have had some friends who went through something. And that was also one of the things that pushed us to keep up with this council and to keep going with this council. We had some friends who had gone to a party and things didn't go right and there was a fight. But when the police had shown up, they had actually charged the Black youth and not the other youth. There were two different races in this fight, but they only charged the Black youth and only the Black youth have gotten anything on them. So it's just that expectation that because there's a fight and because there's Black youth anywhere or Black boys, it is automatically our fault and we were not enticed or anything like that so or provoked at all so that's just kind of like the the constant fight especially in high school it's it's really really sad to see that the people who are being themselves 
would then be pushed to a corner. So even when I was in high school, I wouldn't really hang out with other Black people because then it would start to push me into that stereotype that we're loud or that we're aggressive or stuff like that. So I would tone myself down and I would hang out with the other race because that is that is when they felt comfortable, when maybe I was the only Black girl in the room. Whereas if there's a bunch of us, they then feel intimidated. That's when the stigma comes. That's when the racism appears and stuff like that. So we wanted to really, really push it. The fact that Black youth, BIPOC youth can be in a room and it won't be disastrous. It won't be that stereotype that you think it is. That's what I mean by the racism <laughs> that was just prominent here. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. I, I come from a predominantly, if not entirely white town and, and did the same thing. I didn't want to, my internalized racism was so bad that I didn't want to associate myself with any other person of color because of, of fear of sort of white supremacists reacting to that in whatever negative way. So I, I definitely feel that for sure. I think as well with the youth council, we also wanted to change the mindset a bit that in Central Alberta, there could be change. Because prior to the pandemic, personally, I had gone to the University of Victoria because I had seen it more as a liberal campus. I wanted to escape a bit from like so much conservative political area and everything. And I just, I felt like no matter what I did, there couldn't be big change in central Alberta. So I moved. And when I was brought back home and Ursula Khan started to invite us to these meetings, it's when I realized that we could create change in central Alberta, even if it's predominantly white, even if the majority of people here are conservative. And like we wanted to be able to also change that mindset for other BIPOC youth as well. Yeah, and I think that's so core to sort of, rather than the leaving and trying to fit in elsewhere, but also being able to take up space in what is effectively your home environment, right? And being able to live there without sort of fear of this either conservative ideology that is inherently very white supremacist or, or what have you. So is this what, what first motivated you? I know, Cindy, you mentioned that the youth council is kind of what kept pushing you, but what first motivated you both to start getting into actively doing this anti-racism work in central Alberta? What first motivated me was just seeing everything with the Black Lives Matter protests. I thought that it was just a time for me to do beyond of just sharing an, a simple Instagram post. And I thought it was an opportunity to like actually have my voice heard. It's, I think it's so difficult being a youth of color in Central Alberta where we feel like no matter how many times we try to get a seat at the table, we're just not invited. And I felt like the youth council was on an opportunity to grab a chair and get us and create our own seat it was as simple as I was just wanting to get out of the house as well with the pandemic it was just really hard being inside all the time so I thought that just being able to go to a space and be able to share my struggles and experiences with people who look like me or people who understand like the experiences I've had in Central Alberta was just like it, it really motivated me in, in involving myself in this youth council. Yeah, and for me, it was more or less like that. I definitely wanted to leave the house, but I am such a 
big city person. And like I said, I, I'm from the University of Calgary. So coming back home to Red Deer was a very big shift for me. And I truly did not want to be here. So it was actually Juliana that forced me, <laughs> more like forced my hand to join this council. But that was probably one of the best decisions ever because I have done so much in this year and a half of being back in Red Deer than I could have ever dreamt of. So that was the first motivation, just listening to somebody who's giving me this opportunity because stuff like this doesn't come normally, just doesn't happen all the time. So they were just like, hey, we want to start something different. We want to start something new. And I wanted to get my hands in there. So I said, yeah, let's let's try it. I was a bit hesitant at first. Like I don't know. I was also a part of that council, the peace builders that tried to make a youth council and it didn't work. So I was already pretty pessimistic about my city and what they would say about a council like this. So I didn't really have a big of a passion when we first started, but as we just kept going, that passion grew. So yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you folks have had quite a lot of trouble and challenges with dealing with the systems, the political systems that are around you, particularly the municipal ones, what are what are some of those challenges? Is that they they seem to not be listening for one from, from what you're saying and saying that it's not important work that you're trying to do. But what do these cha- challenges look like in in central Alberta that you're trying to to navigate as you do this work? I think one of the things is just changing a bit of the perspective of like youth not being taken seriously. Like in one of our events that we were organizing, Youth Talk, we were organizing this event where we wanted to create a relationship and a space where a youth of color and the RCMP could have like an open discussion and be able to just have a safe space to ask questions and be able to get information, even like as simple as like our rights when were being arrested and stuff like that. And it was just like, it was really disheartening for us when the RCMP, like a day prior to the event, just said that they were hesitant in in, in even going after they had confirmed because they thought that the event was too political. And because of everything going on with social media, they weren't sure. It was a big build up to that event because we wanted it to be a conversation and we understood that it was during COVID. So we had followed all the guidelines. We had gotten a very big space that would accommodate the amount of people that we would want there to be. And we didn't just want to create that relationship with the RCMP. We also wanted to create it with our city officials. We didn't know who our our city council was, but there are decisions being made like when our city's bus route was changed. Most of the time, it's youth that use that stuff. And my younger sister was actually complaining about it. She said that she has no idea why they would change it. It was perfectly fine before. Now it takes her longer to get home. So we were interested in asking those kind of questions. Like, where did you get the input from whatever youth that you had? Because they had said that they had gotten youth input for the new bus routes, for example. So we wanted to know questions like that. So we were extremely excited about this opportunity because Again, we had never gotten a seat at the table, so we never got to hear the input about things that are happening around our city. So we we really needed this event, especially with all the Black Lives Matter. We needed to know that they were going to be behind us. But just that the day before (laughs) is when they decided they did not want to come. And 
they hid behind the fact that it was COVID. And we understand that, but we had assured them that we were following every single guideline and we had followed the guidelines of the building that we even had. So it just shows that they were scared to sit in a room with just youth ages 13 to 20 years old, just asking you questions. So that's, like she said, it was, they were extremely hesitant and it was kind of challenging for us. And it hurt a little bit that you said that you will be here for your youth, especially the officer that we had contacted. He is the youth liaison. So he goes to high schools and he talks to you. So we thought it would be easy for him to just come and do the exact same thing that he does in schools, just in a more intimate setting, but he did not. Yeah, I definitely sense the frustration around that. And like, I'm, I'm very openly an abolitionist. And so I don't necessarily engage in conversations with police at that level to find their sort of answers. But I recognize the differentiation of politic that exists in Alberta and, and the need for that. And sort of to see that you're doing basically what they tell us to do, right? Which is like, have dialogue with us and and tell us X, Y, Z instead of criticizing us, X, Y, blah, blah, blah. And to see that you you did that or attempted to and that they still would not respond is just so infuriating, I think, to hear. And so I'm sorry that you have to deal with challenges like that. I wonder if you could share with us how you've been over to overcome that. So that's like a very specific incident that happened, but I imagine the same sort of things keep popping up where uh, from your city, not listening to you about the youth council to the police doing this, that this, the systemic people in power are very resistant to engaging even in just conversation around black indigenous and youth of color. How have you overcome that challenge? What are you doing to try and navigate that? I think one of the things that we have done to overcome these obstacles is just doing the event anyways. Like, even if it's it's just a space where youth of, of color can just have a discussion and be able to just share the experiences and struggles and even finding solutions. Like, for example, we said that for that particular event, the youth talk, that even though it may have not been a success in our eyes, it was still a success because we had two new members join the youth council after that. Or for example, like we also said that for next year, we're going to, we're planning to still have an event where you're still planning to reach out to those city officials and be able to have that discussion. Because if we don't hold them accountable, then I think they're just going to keep on putting us like under the rug, thinking that we're, oh, we're like, we're something that can just easily be ignored, but, we're not like we 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 want our voices to be heard and even if they don't want us to hear us then we're just gonna be even louder and another thing too is social media like we have it so we use it if you're not gonna listen to us and what we're saying matters and needs to be heard by other people we're gonna put it on social media so our instagram and our twitter we're constantly (laughs) blasting certain officials and certain things that are happening in our city because they didn't they don't listen to us if we send a letter or if we ask to meet with our mayor for these conversations or when we ask to have an actual city council that would ask youth these questions we decided that okay if you're not going to listen to us there you didn't want to listen to us before 
we're just going to blast you on social media. (laughs) It's a little bit more aggressive, but that's what we definitely do. And like she added, having those youth that just come in and they're ready to do it. Like we said, it's because of the stigma that's around us, a lot of youth here don't want to do anything. They just kind of hide behind all of it. And they're like, my voices aren't going to be heard regardless. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. The police are corrupt. They're not going to listen to me or anything like that. So it was extremely necessary for us to keep going with these events. Because at these events, whether it's one or three, we always get somebody that is that we ignite that passion, that they're ready to keep going. So our council is growing. Slowly but surely, but it, we know that the people who are a part of it are ready to keep this fight going and ready to make a change in Red Deer. Yeah, and I think social media is one of those tools that, first and foremost, is very accessible to, to most young people, which is great. And then secondly, like amplifying your own voice in a way, right? And being able to spread the messages around or of what's happening is, is so critical. And I think platforms have have been created perhaps not meant for us but that we've been able to use them in this way is is phenomenal even with the sort of like safety measures that we need to take as racialized women in particular when it comes to that I did want to draw sort of the word aggressive that you used when it comes to social media I feel like the other day somebody said the same thing about me being aggressive and I feel like people think when we stand up for ourselves or when we stand up for our communities and we assert ourselves that they are like, okay, well, you're just being aggressive. And I think so often people just refuse to take responsibility for their harmful actions and behaviors. And then when somebody is able to to say, oh, no, I'm not going to take that, actually, they get upset and call us aggressive. And so I think what you're doing is is not aggressive at all. I think you're you're very much using the power that you have to spread the word about what's happening in your community and how you want to better your community. And I think that's super admirable. But that's kind of what happens when there's a challenge against you. They automatically try to label you. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. learned that from my sociology classes. I get to take some sociology courses on the side. And that is one thing when somebody attacks the people in power, the only way that they can keep their power is to label you and put you down so that mm-hmm. the entire society thinks that that person is a deviant, that person is against the moral code of the society, so we shouldn't listen mm-hmm. to them. So yeah, of course, they're going to think that youth of color are aggressive when we are calling them out for something that they should not be exactly. doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so great that you're able to be so cognizant of this while you're doing that work, especially in an environment like Alberta, which I, I know is is distinctly harder than a lot of the rest <laughs> of us when it comes to, to challenging sort of the white supremacy that exists there. But there's something, like you said, like the Youth Council, that continues to push you to do this work, right? Not just your experiences, but the experiences of your friends that you've shared, of the people in your community, perhaps even your parents or grandparents or or elders in some way. But that it's a, it's a community story, right? And it's a community work that you're doing. And I wonder if you've had any parts that have felt the most fulfilling to you while you've been doing this amidst the challenges. I think the most fulfilling part for me has just been to feel like I belong somewhere. I think that 
it's in central Alberta, especially, it's just always so hard to always just navigate myself and, and feel like I belong in a group and feel like I am welcome in this space as well. And, and that people understand me and just like every Thursday, usually Cindy and I go into the office and it's just so nice where we just like sit down and we are able to just kind of talk about our week and be able to de-stress and then start to do like some Ubuntu stuff. But it's just really fulfilling to be able to even share a space with people who understand you and that don't always think that, like as Cindy said, you're aggressive. Like I remember in high school, always being like being part of a friend group where I had originally thought that we were so diverse because we were all from different backgrounds. But when I actually look back, it, it always did feel like I couldn't voice certain things that were, were going on. Like, for example, if I said something about the political struggles that are going back home, like in Colombia, and like my, my other friend would would say something that I felt like was kind of like telling me that it didn't really matter as much because there were there were struggles going on here. It's just been really fulfilling to be part of a youth council where I I do feel understood, like no matter what we talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a good point around having a diverse group of friends, for example, or having a diverse committee, having a diverse municipal council, whatever it is, when we talk about having a seat at the table, it's not just about occupying space at the table, but who is occupying that space and what privileges come with, even if they're racialized, with them occupying that space and making those decisions. And I think that that's such a good example of it that like, I love the saying skin folk ain't kin folk because it's so true. Not everybody has necessarily the anti-oppressive skill set, the anti-racist framework or, or decolonial frameworks as well to be able to engage in a way that is meaningful with the work that you're doing. And that that can happen regardless of, of background, like you said. So I think that's that's a really great thing to note. I think that's just also part of like the the society we live in. Like the goal is to be able to assimilate as many people so that we completely forget our background and identity. So we just fit into a box and we don't create problems and we don't ask for things and to keep society as simple and in order to just continue to to fulfill like the white supremacist agenda. But but in the end, like it's when when we are able to be able to liberate ourselves from these constant like oppressions that we're facing every day, it's it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's a great point. How about you, Cindy? What what has been most fulfilling to you in doing this work? For me, it would be just getting that one youth into the door to build on kind of what Juliana had just said there, that they've been trying to assimilate us. And one of the goals of most people of color that are in Canada is that we left our previous homes for a better life here. But that does not mean that we have to become the people here. We came here for the opportunities, not for the people. So we definitely lost the sight of that. And I definitely lost the sight of that, especially in high school for me. Like I was in the same friend group as Juliana, so I completely understand what she's talking about. And I know what friend she's talking about as well. But just 
trying to fit into what they expect you to fit and trying to be in that box, that that place that they think that you should be. And if you're out of it, then you're like them, if that makes any sense. But I think having this counsel then gives these youth that reminder that you can be yourself. You're allowed to be yourself. It does not matter what they say. Yes, you have to fight to have your seat at the table, but you do not need to lose yourself to do so. So that is why it's extremely fulfilling when I see these youth coming in and you see who they're becoming. You're seeing the people that they are meant to be, especially I've known a few of them for quite a while and the people I knew before And the people I know now are completely different. And that's because they are now more comfortable in their own skin. They are more assertive with their own voice and they're more comfortable to say something and speak out about something. And that is what is extremely, extremely fulfilling about the stuff that we do. Yeah, and I think you raise a really good point around assimilation and this idea of particularly immigrants and refugees. My my background is similar, at least my family's background is similar. And this idea that we need to conform or are forced to conform to what the Canadian state wants, first Mm -hmm. and foremost, what the white supremacist culture that exists within that state is, as if we're not on Indigenous lands, and as if we're not on stolen land, um, and as if the people that we are indebted to are not the ones who are suffering from from a genocide that's being committed ongoing, right? Mm -hmm. And, And who is it that is demanding us to conform and assimilate, I think is really important. And so being able to to resist that is such a such a concrete challenge for a lot of people. But what you're saying with seeing the fulfillment of people being able to do that challenge and, and resistance is is what makes this work fulfilling, I think is so great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And another thing is the progression. Although we've only done this for about like I would say almost six months or not at a year yet, but from the at the very first, the very beginning, like Juliana said, Ursula Khan, the founder of this council, she went to the city board and she asked, can I make this? And they said, no, that is not of our interest at the moment. So it was kind of like a spit at our face that we, again, we don't care about what you think is important right now. That's not what we see as important. So the fact that she made her own was extremely, extremely motivational, extremely important in this area that we live in. But the progression that I'm talking about is then they didn't want to listen to us. Now our email is blowing up sometimes. We have so many people wanting to get our voices in there, bringing Mm -hmm. us into the table. They said, okay, you guys aren't going anywhere. We should probably pay attention to you. So it's been really, really fulfilling getting to that state. Yeah, and I I can't believe, I mean, I can believe it, but it's just so ridiculous that they are like, no, this is not important, that no racialized youth are not of importance to this community and to, to our values and to the society that we live in. Like, you don't matter. And I think that is a, a message to, like, combat so fiercely that you do matter and that it matters that you want to take responsibility into your own hands to support your communities and to support your peers and to advocate for yourselves. And I hope folks who are listening to that and are facing the same challenge will will see what you folks and, and your friend Ursula have done and make that make that decision to not believe them when they say terrible things like that. What are some 
opportunities that you have available for other young people in central Alberta in particular, or folks to collaborate outside of that, that you have upcoming? Are there any projects that you're working on or events that you're planning on hosting? What are you up to these days? We're currently planning different events throughout the month of March for International Women's Day. So the Ubuntu Youth Council has partnered up with the main organization of Ubuntu Mobilizing Central Alberta, where we're doing an online event on March 13th and March 14th. And we're going to be having different online activities going on throughout the day, where we're just hoping to have a space where women can share their stories and speak on the ways the community can champion gender equality. So we're going to be hosting that as well as on March 20th, the Ubuntu Youth Council is doing a webinar where we're just going to have a discussion on the impact of social media on women, especially young women, and how it has affected like the perceptions on our body and our self-esteem and certain social standards that we often feel like we have to live up to. And we're going to be bringing in a social media expert as she works with Joe Social Media. So she kind of knows the logistics behind social media. And as well as we're bringing in a professor from the University of Victoria, and she teaches on gender studies. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So all those details are going to be available soon on, on our Instagram page at Ubuntu underscore Youth Council, I believe. One more underscore, Ubuntu underscore youth underscore council. That is our Instagram page. Wonderful. Before we let you go, and thank you for sharing with us both your stories and your lived experiences and also the upcoming projects that you have. I know folks will be excited to attend those events. We have a final segment that we do called How I Would End Racism. And the reason why I like doing this is because I get tired. <laughs> I don't know about you folks, but I am just so exhausted all the time from dealing with racism. <laughs> yes. Like it is exhausting and distracting and just so annoying and pathetic. And we need to clear our heads sometimes. So as young leaders of color, we're trying to actually end racism through whatever means, at least harm reduction at the very least for both ourselves and our communities. But what if we could do so instantly? What is your best pitch for how you would re- end racism if you could do anything at all? I think if if I could do anything, I would have like every single person just put themselves in their shoes of the most marginalized individuals in society, like Black, Indigenous women, and just like live the experiences they live in a year all in a day so that maybe they can finally empathize if they personally experience it. I think that's what I would do. How about you, Cindy? I, I'm, I'm a little more aggressive. Uh, I'm <laughs> I've had this conversation many a time with a few friends, and we've had this conversation for my country, Nigeria, in Africa, because we have a very corrupt government there, and... Sometimes people have this idea that if we just sniper all of the people in power and just start again, it would work. So I'm going to go with that. If we just (laughs) 
sniper, get a really, really good sniper and just wipe out the white supremacist at once, I definitely have more faith in the younger generation to fight for that. So to fight against racism. So it's going to be easier. You snap your fingers. (laughs) (laughs) All the white supremacists disintegrate like they did in Avengers. Oh, yes, that could also be a potential. (laughs) Thank you folks so much for joining us. It was lovely to to have both of you uh, <laughs> join us and good luck with your International Women's Day events. I'm sure we will keep posted and ho- folks will check you out. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you.